Carroll bringing it forward. Thompson's making the run. Carroll hangs on to it though. Still Davy Carroll. Could go all the way here. Oh, what a goal! Hello, I'm Phil Catchpole and welcome to episode 28 of Ringing the Blues. On this week's show, to complete a hat-trick of consecutive striker interviews, I caught up with Chairboys legend Keith Scott. But first, the Football Manager Cup, it's a bit like giving a starving dog a rubber bone. But it's all we have. Andy Collins, BBC Three Counties Radio. With the current suspension of football, fans have had to go to extreme measures for an alternative sporting fix. The computer game Football Manager has organised a tournament where the clubs battle online with fans and players representing their clubs. The tournament, which is being run in partnership with the EFL and the mental health charity Mind, kicked off last week. And there's a free counties derby in the second round. Tonight at 8pm, MK Dons take on Wickham Wanderers. We are joined on the line now by the virtual managers uh, Wickham fan Craig Anderson and MK Dons player George Williams good morning to you Craig first of all good morning Andy how mate uh, how is it how is it then managing your beloved uh, chair boys um, it's a bit surreal um, but obviously a lot of fun to be able to like lead them out onto the onto the virtual pitch it's uh, it's been a lot of fun yeah it's great how did you get chosen was it a, was it a grueling interview process um, it was just Twitter. Like they threw something up on Twitter, and um, you know you had to state your claim, and quite a lot of people did. And I was just—I was the lucky one that managed to state my claim the best. Well, listen, I'm going to bring George in. George, you actually mm. play for MK Dons in in real life. How accurate is Football Manager? <laughs> Morning, mate. Um, yeah, I haven't actually looked at the Dons players just yet. I've, uh, I start, usually start in the lower leagues and go on Football Manager. Um, That'll be a test for me, but yeah, I'm looking forward to getting going. I, I take it you'll be playing yourself up front and making you, yourself the star man, yeah? <laughs> uh, no doubt, yeah. I'll be on penalties, corners, free kicks, I think. Yeah, trying to get some goals. <laughs> what happens if you don't perform? You're not, you're not going to sub yourself off, are you? I don't think there's anything I can do to be subbed off, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I think I'll be on for, for the whole game, no matter what happens. <laughs> Craig, every football fan has questioned managers' decisions, you know, from the stands. We've all done it. Do you feel the pressure now? Um, a little bit. It's quite weird. I've had, um, I was on a live chat last Wednesday after my crew game in the first round, and there was uh, a few of the Wickham lads that I actually didn't pick. And uh, got a bit of stick from a couple of them for uh, putting them on the bench and uh, a little bit on Twitter. So uh, I could appreciate it a little bit more. Um, mm. It's a bit surreal, but yeah, I can appreciate how uh, the Monday to Friday uh, uh, stress of being a football manager is in real life. I mean, George, I mean, of course, you know, when, you, when you're on the pitch, you, you feel the pressure. Of course you do. But is there more pressure now being the virtual manager of the team? <laughs> I think there is, you know, especially because... Um, a few lads have messaged me wondering why they didn't get the job. Uh, Carlton Morris was very bitter about it. Uh, <laughs> a couple of lads. But, you know, my CV on Footman just spoke for itself. And I, I don't think they even got a look in, to be honest. So it's, uh, I feel the pressure in that sense. So I've, got to, I've got to perform. Are you also now starting to think, I don't know what the boss is going all about. This is too easy. It's so easy being a manager. <laughs> I don't know. We've got a tough game tonight uh, under the light. Wickham, you know. They're probably heavy favourites for this game, you know, how they're performing in the league and whatnot. So it's going to be tough. I love, I love that already. You're using management <laughs> talk. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, and obviously, you've got all your tactics all sorted out, Craig. Can you can you reveal anything for us tonight? No, I mean, if there's anything I've learned from watching football since a young age, you never give anything away until. Uh, <laughs> well, look, we got we got a bit of a surprise for you, lads, because you okay. might want some tips in your new careers as a manager. So let's go. Let's go to one of the actual bosses who's listening in. It's Wickham's Gareth Ainworth. Good morning to you, Gareth. Morning. How's it going? I'm fine and dandy, sir. A- any advice for Craig ahead of the big game? I'm just really happy just chilling here with the pressures on somebody else totally this this uh, this day. So now um, I'm hoping that George is getting a little bit too cocky and uh, and, and and a little bit uh, 
<laughs> the emotion uh, that, that he's showing is uh, is great, but uh, I'm hoping that Craig's calm persona can can get us through tonight. But it's great, it's, you know, it's great to hear them both getting involved and uh, and and both both great guys. Have you missed football, Gareth? I mean, have you done anything to keep your eye in? Yeah, totally. You know, it's uh, it, it is it is everything to, to me and my life. And, and as you've just been saying, you know. It, I think Craig mentioned Monday to Friday. I wish it was Monday to Friday. It's, uh, yeah. it's Monday right back round to Monday, believe me. So it's uh, it's uh, 24 or seven days a week. But um, at the moment, uh, it's all about the players now, keeping them mentally as well as physically in the right shape for um, potentially what could happen. But um, no, it's uh, it's great to be watching this with a keen eye tonight. And, uh, and yeah. I'm hoping the, uh, the Bucks derby can come our way again. I mean, is it worrying for you as a manager in, in real life? Worrying what the players are up to? I mean, I mean, do you worry that maybe hitting the biscuit barrel a bit too much? <laughs> um, you, you always worry. You know, you always worry, no matter what, about your players, what they're up to, no matter if you if they're in every day or they're not. Um, my, my, my my one concern is is the lack of um, gym equipment and 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 things that they've got at moment. It's like a summer break, this, and we're going to treat it like a summer break. But in the summer breaks, the boys have access to gyms where they keep doing their prehab, rehab, weights and resistance work. They can do plenty of running at the moment, but there's there's, there's so much more comes into football, you know, and, and I, I'm just uh, just a bit concerned that we don't get long enough when we get back to get them prepared for the game. So this is something that the uh, the FL must, must get right and... Uh, and it's important for the welfare of the players. But Gareth, I, I know a few managers and, and, and I speak to them a lot and, and they say, and let's be honest, that players sometimes can be a little bit lazy if you're not there screaming and shouting at them. George, have you have you, have you you been training hard have you, or have you been eating the the crisps from the cupboard? Uh, no, to be fair, um, we've been given a really good uh, programme to follow. Uh, it's been quite tough and quite strict. So we, we've got to log all our, all our sessions and all our food. Uh, diary and, and whatnot. So, you know, we're under quite strict um, regime. So, it's keeping us fit and and, and healthy. Uh, Gareth, if it was uh, one win, is e- one win each in the real life league this season. Will tonight's game decide the bragging rights? <laughs> yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it? You know, we. Uh, I hear that George is already using the psychology of, uh, of we should win this game. And these Wickham Wanderers, we're never, we're never the, uh, the favourites. Come on, we're always the underdog. <laughs> well, the thing is, the, 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 the thing is, Gareth, that, that, that George has been saying he doesn't realise, you know, that this manager's lark's dead easy. Well, George, we've got your boss, uh, Russell, uh, is on the line. Good morning to you, my friend. Morning, gents. How are we? I'm fine and dandy. So, Russell Martin, you are the manager, the real life manager. George thinks you have it quite easy as managers. Anything you want to say to me? <laughs> well, I'm, I wouldn't say that, especially with people like George around keeping them on the toes. But, um, <laughs> got, I'm, op- I'm, ho- I'm hoping he wins tonight, of course. But he's, I'm, there's one tactic that I, I, I think will guarantee that he's just got to play me. I think I'm still a player in the game. So he's got to put me in the side and we'll be all right. Oh yeah, I don't know if I can get signed up now. Then Russell, you're going to play. I won't. I won't. Registered. Registered. Craig, Craig, get me on that team. I put me man to man on Russell tonight. Okay, George, (laughs) this is is your first role as manager, George. As as Russell made the team, or are you going to drop him? Football manager has taken it out of my hands. I've got a feeling he's, he's now uh, been promoted to manager. I'm, there. I'm not sure he's on there. He never uh-huh. played me anyway. I used to see him on the bus. He took me out straight away every single time. <laughs> Brilliant. Russell, if George doesn't win, uh, will there be extra training here? Well, to be fair, he's, he's trained. He's probably one of the, uh, in terms of uh, the programme they've been given, he's probably one that trains the hardest anyway. So we'll, uh, we'll have to chuck it. He loves it though. We'll have to chuck him a few extra sessions, but he'll enjoy it. So, Love it. We'll give him a week off after this. And, and I, I have to ask you the same question I asked Gareth. I mean, uh, you're obviously missing football. How are you keeping your eye in? Um, just a bit of everything, really. Watching watching players, watching our games. Um, I've got three young kids, so I'm homeschooling as well, which is keeping me busy. Wow. Um, but, yeah, just trying to stay in contact with, with the guys with various different bits. And, um, yeah, but I think we're all missing it now. and We'd like to get back at some point soon. Russell, I mean, football manager, homeschooling, and, and also you've you've just opened a restaurant all before this, didn't you? This the, the stress levels yeah, must be going for ter- the roof. Ter- yeah, terrible timing, really, wasn't it? So yeah, four, about four days before um, lockdown kicked in, we opened because we'd been so we were so far advanced with all our uh, the staff and everything like that, and um, the refurbishment of the place. We just thought we'd give it a go and see how it went, and then oh. obviously this kicked in. So hopefully we'll be okay after all this. We'll have to uh, we'll have to see what happens. But 
Well, well. <laughs> get through this, you can get through anything. Listen, we've got to wrap yeah, exactly. it up. But like, what I would love, just if I, if I may, Gareth, a little bit, a final little team talk uh, to Craig before the, tonight's big game. What would you like to say? Yeah, Craig, you know, just it's another game. Don't play the occasion. Keep you calm and make your decisions based on, on evidence that's put in front of you. Uh, no emotion tonight. Uh, and Russell, I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, and Russell, I really do think George would appreciate a bit of teacup throwing here. Unleash. Yeah, George, don't listen to guys. It's not a game. This is everything, mate. All these one game. Complete emotion. Go and destroy him. Gareth Ainsworth, Russell Martin, thank you so much indeed, gentlemen. No and, and thank you very much for joining us. And George and Craig, good luck tonight, lads. Nice. All the best, Craig. You too, George. All the best. <laughs> Brilliant. Testing, testing, one, two, one, two. Ah, am I on the air? Ah, thank you. Okay, here we go. Hola, mis amigos. We are ringing the blues from Mexico City. Mi nombre es Uri. And here are the results for League One. No, wait a moment. This is not League One. This is the Football Manager Cup Round Two. MK Don's Nell. We come Wanderers 3. Oh, that makes me so happy for the weekend. Thank you very much, Wickham Wanderers. And now, for Turbo Spanish, this is the phrase. We are Wickham Wanderers. We are box number one. You know it's true. Light, dark and blue. Where to start it is such a long phrase, my amigo Phil. Okay, number one. You know how to say that in Spanish? Number one. Numero uno. Okay, blue. How to say blue in Spanish? You should know that for, uh, by this moment. Blue, azul. So, light. Light, luz. Or light, ligero. Luz is like light, like um, photons. And uh, light, it is like a feather. Ligero. Dark, oscuro. Dark, oscuro. So, here we go. We are Wiccan Wanderers. Somos los Wiccan Wanderers. We are box number one. Somos los número uno de Bok. I know, I don't know who Bok is, sorry. You know it's true. Sabes que es verdad. Light and dark blue. Azul ligero y azul oscuro. Vamos todo de lleno. Here we go again. Somos Wiccan Wanderers. Somos los número uno de Bok. Sabes que es verdad. Azul ligero y oscuro. Hey, we did it, right? It's not that difficult. Learning Spanish with the chair boys. Mi nombre es Uri. I'm back to the Ringing the Blues Headquarters Studios in Ingerland with mi amigo Phil Catchpole. Stay safe. Stay at home. Quédate en casa. Adiós. The Bucks derby, well, it was a one-way affair, really. Wickham Wanderers winning 3-0 to go into the third round of the Football Manager Cup. The dream start, really. Uh, the man with an arthritic hip, Darius Charles, opened the scoring on the second minute. And then Fred Onidimmer in the second half doubled Wickham's lead uh, with his third goal in the tournament, his third in two games. And then former ex-MK Dons Loney, the man that fired the MK Dons into League One, rubbed salt into the wounds with an injury-time winner to make it convincing from Wickham. 3-0 was the score but the stats bear it out as well Wickham dominated with shots on target possession uh, as well and it was a deserved victory Gareth Ainsworth said in the build up Bucks is ours if they win this one and manager Craig Anderson steered Wickham through to a famous victory and Craig joins us now Craig uh, a brilliant result for you in what was a tricky fixture looking ahead into the game yeah no, absolutely um, regardless of, of uh, current league positions in real life and, and stuff like that it all goes out the window in, in derbies like this so uh we knew what we had to do we knew our goal we knew our tactics and uh, you know it was just all about stopping them and, and ex- making our, our tactics as more positive as possible Now there's some big teams left in this tournament and the games are obviously going to get tougher but you've got momentum now and, and a real belief I think two away wins two tough away wins on the bounce you must not fear anyone now in this tournament I mean that's right really I mean I think I mentioned to you last week to win a tournament like this you're going to have to play the big teams and you know, I wouldn't have minded, minded if I played a big team in that in that last game. And when I mean big team, I mean like a championship team. Um, looking at the draws for the games that have just happened, 
um, and the games are a few more to come. You know, it it looks like we're almost definitely going to get a championship team, and uh, you know, my preparations already started. You know, I've, I've you know, in regards to the MK game, I had a couple of friends in Mitchell and Kieran. I played, and in regards to a big championship, team, I've already had a friend of mine, Martin, who I've played a couple of times online to prepare for this. So I'm I'm fully prepared for for any big big championship team that we could potentially get drawn against in round three. Going back to the MK game, I mean, they started off with three at the back, as they have done in real life for most of this season as well. But you've been sticking with the famous four-three-three, the Gareth Ainsworth formation. Do you think it's better to play to your team's strengths or? adapts really to try and, uh, and and counter your opponents? I think it's important to, under- to understand and acknowledge um, what the other team are doing, but I absolutely think that you should stick to your strengths and to what you're good at. Um, and I think that's, you know, the proof is in the pudding. In the last two games, we've, we've stuck to what we know and, and, you know, we've come out scoring five goals and only conceding one goal. So, I mean... You know, sticking to what we know is is, um, is definitely the way we're going to continue with this tournament. In the build-up to the game, we heard from Gareth Ainsworth and, and Russell Martin. Russell, obviously, a, a former chairboy as well, but now the manager at, at MK Dons. He, there's, a, there's a sweet personal story to this win as well, isn't there, uh, Craig? It is. It's very unique. Um, last summer on the pitch at Adams Park, um, our old chairboy, uh, Sergio Torres, had, uh, had a film that came out. And uh, as part of that day, any fan could come along, Wickham fan, and played a team full of ex, uh, ex-Wickham players. And I played in that game um, for the fans, and I actually was in goal for the, for the fans team. And Russell Martin, who played on the other team, and uh, just before the match, we, we ended up doing a little quick penalty shootout. And I think you were doing a, you were interviewing them as they took the penalties. And uh, I was in goal for Russell Martin's penalty, and he scored against me. So uh, yesterday, when I well, on the Wednesday when I played the game, I was, you know, a little bit extra uh, for myself to, to kind of get one over on Russell Martin's virtual uh, MK Dons after he scored against me last summer. So yeah, full circle, very strange and unique story, but yeah, full circle for sure. Well, he had to bide your time, but he made him pay when it counted. Roberto Peroni. BBC Three Counties Radio. With football. Um, we've been talking football with the BBC's chief football writer, Phil McNulty. Uh, we've just heard about the Premier League hopes of returning to action in June. But what about the Football League? The Championship plus Leagues 1 and 2 are also in a state of limbo since football was suspended in March. Last night, an alleged leak voice message from a professional footballer spread quickly around social media, which contains supposed details of what may happen in the EFL. Uh, reporter Phil Catchpole joined... Why do everyone call Phil this afternoon? Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Roberto. <laughs> what was in this message? Well, it's believed that the voice on the message was Alex Rodman, who's the Professional Footballers Association delegate for Bristol Rovers. And he was talking to teammates after a call with clubs, the EFL and the PFA. Bristol Rovers are investigating that leak, but the, the main contents of the message included uh, things saying that it's unlikely that crowds will be allowed into stadia to watch games until January 2021. If the season can't resume, then league placings would be decided on sporting merit, which would mean points per game. Three teams would then be promoted from each EFL division, but with no relegations, leading to a 23-team Premier League for 2021, and then extra relegation spots across the divisions in future seasons to balance the numbers back out. I mean, we understand that no final decisions were made during Wednesday's call between the clubs, the EFL and the PFA representatives, uh, and several ideas were discussed. What I mean, what could that mean, Phil, for our, for the EFL teams in the three counties? Well, from a, a league a league standing position, it's it could possibly be good news for the teams in the three counties. Luton Town, who are fighting relegation in the Championship, would not have to worry about that because there's going Thank to be goodness. no relegation. Yeah, uh, Wickham Wanderers on a points per game basis would move up to third in the table, and if if these things are be to be believed could perhaps go into the championship and be promoted for the first time in their history to the second level. MK Dons were safe in League One and would remain so, but Stevenage were fighting for their Football League life at the bottom of League Two. And if there's going to be no relegations in these divisions, then potentially league standings, it's good news for the three counties clubs. However, no crowds until January. Financially, that would concern the chairman of those clubs. Concern is one word. I mean, yeah, it would be horrific. It's just... 
I mean, financially, it's the lifeblood of these teams. The TV money is nowhere near the riches of the top division, the Premier League. And also, it's it's the, the soul of football. It's very strange to even consider playing games without crowds there. They play such a big part in these in these fixtures. The reality is we have to think about the people who have been fighting coronavirus, who, who are dying from this. Uh, absolute paramount, of course. But the game of football, the sport element, and the fact that people can go, yeah, the money element, because they keep the clubs going, but the fans going on a Saturday midweek to, it's this social element, the, the mental health element of being involved in something, to be t- to have it deprived for us, from us until next year, be horrible. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a daunting prospect for many, and it's not just football, we're talking theatre, uh, music, everything, it's, it's our outlets, our releases that have been denied at this time, but... As you say, health is, is paramount and that's what the Football League will continue uh, to push through. Their aim is to, con- to conclude the season by playing these games out, if possible. As time goes by, that will become more and more unlikely. Phil, thank you. Our reporter, Phil Catchpole, with the latest on what may happen to the EFL teams in the three. Right, our next guest needs no introduction to Wigan fans. A striker from the non-league days into the league as well, went on to play in the Premier League, came back to Wickham. Of course, it's Mr Keith Scott. And we don't do we don't just do this for everyone, Scotty, but we've got your theme tune in the background. Can you hear it? I can, mate, yeah. Keithy Scott, Scott, Scott. How are you, mate? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very good indeed, yeah. Missing the football. Um, but like we've said many times, it does give us the chance to go and revisit the glory days. And there's none more glorious, Scotty, than that conference team under Martin O'Neill, of which you were the figurehead. Uh, it does seem like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Well, it does. Um, I, I think I was one of the figureheads. I wouldn't say I was the figurehead, but 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 yeah. Well, when you when you consider, was it we we won the league in '93? So what are we? 27 years ago? Yeah. When you put it like that, it is a long time, isn't it? How old was you then? I was at school. I mean, I'm 41 now, so I was 14. yeah, 13, 14 around that time. Wow. Yeah, great times, great times to be a Wickham fan. So I started going regularly, sort of 91, 92 era, okay. and it just felt like we were going to win every week, especially at home. And then most season we'd go to Wembley and win as well. I mean, it, obviously football wasn't like that. I learned uh, a harsh lesson after Martin left, but uh, <laughs> it was great times. Yeah, it was. It was, and and it's really weird that you you know you 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 said that you know you always felt we was going to win because so did we, um, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but he'd you know if you, if you take it that I sort of joined in ninety one the year we, the first year we won the trophy and then obviously we finished fourth and and the gaffer was still sort of building that team there was still a few missing pieces and then obviously the following season we know what happened on the following season where we finished runners up. But then when we came into the year that we won it, you know, the focus from actually losing um, the championship the year before on goal difference to actually winning it the, the following season, as soon as we came back pre-season, the focus was on winning the championship. It wasn't, you know, you, you get clubs who we don't talk about, you know, where we want to finish in the league. We talked about it and it was talked about from day one that our only objective was to win the championship. So we were focused from the first day of pre-season. But we were, again, I don't, I don't want this to sound arrogant, but we were that good. We always knew, once we scored first against any team, it'd be interesting to know what the stats were, but I bet we didn't lose many games from scoring first. And we just had that, that belief that we would win every game. And ultimately, over the course of the season, we, we virtually did. Uh, I guess... The biggest um, barrier or the biggest issue to deal with back then was having come so close the season before, yeah. mentally picking yourselves up again. How did Martin do that? Well, he, do you know what? It was really, it's really strange, really, because at the end of the day, you know, he basically said, "There's nothing you can do about it," you, and, and you couldn't, you know, if you if you actually if you if you take away from all of the emotion of finishing runners up, being beaten on goal difference, and you, you think back at games where we beat. Um, Gates had 3-2 and we thought they'd Macclesfield would beat them 4-3 but it was 4-all you know and you think at games maybe where we you know for stri- as a striker for instance maybe if I'd have scored another two or three goals or would have conceded less you know you think of all of those scenarios but the bottom line is he just basically said there's nothing you can do about it it's done it's finished 
you may as well forget it, but make sure when you come back the following season, we don't leave anything like, you know, we don't leave anything like that again. We just make sure that we get the job done. And that's what we did. Job was done um, pretty much by the end of March, early April, wasn't yeah. it? And yeah. uh, um, Paul Lewis, Chairboys on the Net, has put some great stuff up on Twitter today. We, we were speaking on, on May the 1st, which is the anniversary of Wickham lifting that trophy, although they'd won the league many, many weeks before then. Uh, yeah. a, a youthful Keith Scott, Glyn Creaser on the steps at Adams Park, the crowd on the pitch. I mean, wonderful scenes. The sun was out. I remember it well. I think I'm on the video somewhere amongst the thousands on the pitch. <laughs> Do you remember those days, Keith, or put them to bed somewhere? No, no. You know, look, look I, I've always said, and, and, and I've said it many a time, you know, from a footballing point of view, there's no greater, I've had no greater pleasure, you know, and I'm talking about my whole career now, I've had no greater pleasure than actually being part of a squad that actually got a team promoted from non-league into the football league because, Everything that happened thereafter is down to that group of players. And I, and I always think that that group of players will be held in, in highest, high regard with, with the supporters of the football club because we're the ones who actually gave the club that opportunity to go on and achieve FA Cup semi-finals, League Cup semi-finals, you know, promotions and, and, and relegations and all of that. So it, it's... Listen, they are the fondest memories that I have of playing football over the course of my career. Well, that's wonderful. Talk us through signing because it was the great man himself, Martin, who signed you. What did that feel like when the phone rang? The weird thing was I was I was on loan at Boston United from Lincoln City because Alan Clark, the great Alan Clark, who was manager of Lincoln City, didn't think I would be good enough to play in the league. So he farmed me out at Boston United and I went to play for them. And, and we were... Funnily enough, we was playing Altrincham. Martin had come to watch Paul Cavell play, who at the time, in the conference then, the G, the GM Vauxhall Conference, probably, arguably one of the best strikers in non-league football. Anyway, he, he saw me play, and then he came to watch me play, because in them days as well, even though he was on loan at another club, he still played in the reserves. So I played, I played for obviously for, for Boston on loan, but I still played in the reserves for Lincoln City. And he came to watch me play against Lincoln City, um, sorry, for Lincoln City reserves against Nottingham Forest reserves. Ironically, Stuart Cash was playing for Forest. And then it was, it was, it was after that game that he wanted to take me on loan. And uh, he took me on loan and he just basically said, look, come along for a month. Let's, let's see how it goes. See how you get on with the players. See how the players get on with you. And, uh, and we'll take it from there. And uh, obviously I had the month there. And at the end of the month, he told me that he wanted to sign me. And they, they paid, what, I think £30,000 for me. For some of our younger listeners, they won't be aware of what sort of striker you were. Big, bustling, target man, eye yeah. for goal. Dave Carroll on the right wing, Steve Guppy on the left wing. I mean, for a yeah. striker, that's not a bad combination, is it? No, it's not. And, uh, and bear in mind, we had Ty Gooden and Simon Hutchinson on the bench. <laughs> so from a striking perspective, I, I had probably you know four very very good wingers different wingers you know obviously Steve Guppy went on and, and had a great career and played for England uh, but it was brilliant you know but with Gupps the, the beautiful thing about Gupps was I knew once you know when when Gupps was for those who watched him play in Europe when he when he faced up um, a defender if he dropped his shoulder to come inside and then he'd shift it outside as soon as he shifted it I knew it was coming in I knew it was coming in so I could make my run. And then depending on where he was, whether he was on the touchline or in halfway between touchline and 18-yard box or on the edge of the 18-yard box, I knew whether it was going far post, middle of the goal or, or near post. Um, so I could make my run. Dave Carroll on the other side, couldn't read him left, right and centre. Brilliant player, by the way. But what Dave would do, Dave would go to cross and you'd, you'd make a run and then he'd cut back inside. So you'd, then, you'd stop, make your run again, and he'd cut back inside again. So Dave, Dave was, was more difficult to read, but having said that, having those two players on either wing was, from a striker's perspective was a godsend. End of that first season, finished at Wembley, the FA yeah. Trophy final. Talking about yeah. crossing, yeah. it's not a bad Keith Scott cross for Mark West, which is still one of my favourite Wickham goals, a diving header, but that was some cross as well, Scotty. Yeah, it was, and, and funnily enough, when, when, well, I, was, well, I was talking about it um, many moons ago, um, and Glyn Creaser was, was in the conversation, and uh, Glyn Creaser actually, somebody was saying to me about the same thing, Scott, you know, it was a great cross and all that, and it was a great sort of, you know, header by Westy, 
And Glyn Creese had just said, uh, Scotty, just remember one thing, it was me who put you down the line. <laughs> so without it, you, would, you wouldn't have been able to have done it. But, but look, it, it's the old additive, isn't it? You know, um, sometimes strikers make the best crosses because um, they, they know what type of balls other strikers want. Um, and from my point of view, you know, like I say, Creese knocked it down the line. It was just a matter of, of, you know, getting it out of my feet. I got it out of my feet, got my head up, and I knew Westy was going to make the run. So it was more about just putting it into an area. Um, and, and, and you know, a lot of the, the great wingers, they put balls into areas. And, you know, young kids who play the game, sometimes it's not about picking out the player. It's about putting it in an area where you know he's going to run. And all I was concentrating on was putting it in that area because I knew if I put it in the area... Westy would do everything in his power to get there, and of course he did. Diving header, brilliant goal, and and a, and a, a fitting end and a fitting tribute to Mark West, who was a fantastic striker, by the way, a fantastic striker. And then the following, or oh, two seasons later, back at Wembley once more, having yeah. already won the league. Um, and then Wickham into the football league. You started off in the football league, and then you know you weren't yourself. What, what can only be seen as, as a dream move into into what was then the Premiership, Scott. I mean, that's yeah. a bit. That was a big step, wasn't it? Oh, it was a huge step, huge step. And um, you know, I remember, um, I remember, sort of, it might have been a week or two before we played Bristol Rovers. Before I left, we played Bristol Rovers in in the in the FA Cup at Twerton Park. And as I was coming off the coach, some guy pulled me and said, uh, "Are you Keith Scott?" I went, "Yes, I am." He said, "Oh," he said, "Look, I'm a scout from a Premier League club." Uh, who were interested in signing you and I didn't think anything of it anyway we, we played the game obviously and then I was at home and I got a phone call from Martin O'Neill he said Scotty get yourself down the ground now and of course when he he never rang you unless you was either in trouble or he had something to tell you well I didn't think he had anything to tell me so I thought I must have been in trouble <laughs> um, so I went down the ground and he said look we've had an offer come in for you from, from Swindon um you know, obviously Premier League. Um, the club have, have accepted the offer, but what they've also said, if you don't want to go, they'll reject the offer. It's up to you. If you want to stay, we'll try and we'll, we'll give you a new con- a new deal, and we'll try and give you the best deal we possibly can. He said, but before you make any decisions, just think about this. He said, if you sign for Swindon, you can be playing in front of twenty, thirty, forty thousand people. Uh, if you sign, if you stay here you could be playing in front of two or 3,000 people. He said, it's up to you. And of course, I, I, I said to him, which he knew anyway, that I wanted to talk to Swindon. And I did. I went to meet John Gorman and, and we agreed terms. And um, it all happened that quickly. I think it might have been a Monday or a Tuesday that, that the gaffer called me into his office. I think by Thursday, I'd signed, for, I'd signed and I was training for Swindon. And then I made my debut on the Saturday against Ipswich at home. And you chilled on Sunday. That's a hell of a chilled. week, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chilled on Sunday, yeah, and then sort of pinched myself a few times and uh, and just sort of, I suppose, realised how fortunate I was and, and obviously, you know, to fulfil, I suppose, the opportunity of playing in the Premier League. He scored on your debut, didn't he? I did, yeah, I did, yeah. We, um, it was a header. Um, it was a header. We were 1-0 down. Martin Ling put the cross in and headed it in, made it 1-all, and we actually we drew 2-all. Uh, John Walk, the great John Walk, was marking me. So, um, so yeah, two two we drew. I spoke to Steve Guppy on this podcast a few months back, yep. and he said that Martin O'Neill didn't speak to him for over a year when he when he left Wickham Wanderers. Uh, did you get the same treatment, or was it a bit more amicable? No, no, I was fine because Gupps had an agent, didn't he? And I think it was when he went to Newcastle, wasn't it? I think Newcastle That's right, bought, yeah. bought him for one hundred and fifty grand, and I think I think the I think the gaffer felt that the agent had been a little bit underhanded. Um, and he hadn't handled it very well. And as as you know, speaking to the gaffer, he's not a lover of agents. And and I think it was that. You know, it, I don't think it was anything personal regarding Gubbs. I think it was it was the agent side of it. I mean, yeah, they never spoke for a year. But no, regarding me, I never had an agent. Never had an agent in my career. I always let the PFA do my deals. Because uh, the weird the weird thing was this. Going back to this guy who said he was a scout, he then rang me up after I'd signed for Swindon. He turned out he was an agent. And he wanted to be my agent, but what he want? But but you know, we're going back obviously, you know, twenty twenty seven years, twenty seven years, yeah, twenty twenty seven years. Um, but you see, then you see what you did was the player paid the agents took a percentage of the player's deal. 
whereas now clubs pay the agents, don't they, the agent fees. Um, so he effectively wanted to take a percentage of, of my my deal with Swindon, because obviously for him sorting the deal out. And I actually had the conversation and I said, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, you can be my agent. I won't give you anything of whatever I make on any move that I do. But ultimately, if you get me any commercial deals, you can take 20% of that. And he, and he said, no. I said, in that case, I'm not interested. So I never had an agent. I only, I only I had all my deals done through the PFA or I did them myself. You were up in the Premiership. Wickham Wanderers obviously had their first season in the Football League. When you left, did you think that that group could go on and achieve promotion like they did? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. You know, if you look at the, if you actually look at the team, you know, there were good players. You know, good players who had good careers. Um, obviously, we know Steve Guppy moved on, but you look at the midfield. You know, we, you know, yeah, you, you had Keith Ryan, you had Steve Thompson. And I go on, I, I mention, every time I think of them two, I always mention this. You know, people talk now about box-to-box midfielders. Well, them two were box-to-box midfielders 20-odd years ago. They had the ability to get forward, score goals, but would always do their work going backwards. You know, and then, of course, you had Jason. Um, obviously, you had Gups, you had Davy Carroll. Heidi was in goal. You know, we had a good side, so it was no surprise to me. Obviously, Super Simon Garner then came on board. Um, it was no surprise to me that they went on a cheap promotion. Not at all. And then for you, Scotty, you ended up back at Wickham after yeah. a few other clubs as well. And, yeah. Oh, and then was sold again. So you've made, you scored some goals and made the club a bit of money over, over the years. Yeah, I did. Um, the reason why I came back was because it was purely and simply the birth of my, my, you know, my second, my youngest boy, who's now 20. When my... My eldest was born. I, w- I was obviously, I was at Norwich and I was at Stoke, so I was away a lot. And um, I actually um, I actually got offered, funnily enough, at Norwich, they offered me, Mike Walker, who was, was a fantastic guy, he offered me another year's contract at Norwich. Initially, he was going to release me, but then he offered me another year. Um, but I decided not to take it. Um, I wanted two, but they only offered me one. And also as well, like I say, my wife was pregnant with my with my youngest boy and I just felt that I'd been away a lot, you know, during my football career. So I had that off on the table. I had a three-year deal offered from Chesterfield as well, which was better than the deal that was offered to me at Wickham. But I just made the conscious decision. It, it was, you know, it was the right time to come back from a family perspective. And also as well, I, you know, I, I think at the time I might have been 30 maybe at the time. And, of course, I was thinking about, you know, the, the, the next step, about possibly staying in football with coaching, etc. And I just thought it would be, you know, be a, it would be a great idea to sort of finish my career at Wickham and, and then obviously hopefully see, see what leads on from there. But it wasn't to be because, obviously, I then went to Reading for, I think, 250000 You talk about managerial stuff as well. You did your badges and yeah. you moved into non-league as a manager, yeah. but non-league managerial um, world is, is pretty tough. And this is going back a few years now as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, and you look at, you know, you were talking about there where, where you've, you've actually... You know, interviewed Hazy, and he wants to get involved in manage. My words of warning would be very careful which which club you pick. Um, you know, I started. I did all my coaching badges, got my A license. I started off at Leighton Town, which was very good because I had a chairman there who was a great chairman. You know, and he basically told me, you know, I'm, I don't know how many years I'm going back, maybe ten years, maybe a little bit longer. And he actually said to me, your budget is seven hundred and fifty pound a week, and they were bottom of the league. And he said, and the way it works is the substitutes, if you're on the subs bench, you only get half of, of, the, of the wages. And I went, OK. I said, what about the manager and his coachings? You know, what's the budget for that? He said, it's in your 750 quid. I said, OK, so what are they currently on? So effectively, I, I, I effectively had a £750 wage bill that I didn't touch in terms of the manager's wages was whatever it was, which was about 30 quid a week, I think. Um, and then of course you had your staff so that was but he was a good chairman everything everything he said to me he did he never cut the wages never did anything and he was very good so that was good there And but we, but the reason why I left there I then went to Windsor and Eton was because we got to the fourth qualifying round of the FA Cup and we were lying this was the following season we were lying about um, fourth or fifth in the league on a 750 quid budget and I wanted to bring back a guy who'd gone to Windsor who lived in Leighton, a guy called Michael Channels, 
and um, he wanted to come back, but he w- he was on a contract. So I said, to, and the club had made about fifteen, sixteen thousand pounds in the FA Cup run. I said, look, I can get you promoted. I need Michael Channels. It's going to cost two grand to get him. I said, and then he'll fit within the wage bill. I've already spoke to him, and he and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. I said, but you've just made your fifteen, sixteen thousand pounds. No, no, wouldn't do it. And from that day on, I just made a conscious decision that I couldn't progress any further. And then, ironically enough, I went to Windsor and Eaton, who Michael Channels was at. In the two and a half years I was there, we finished, the first year we finished eighth, the second year we finished runners-up, and we won the, the um, Barks and Bucks Cup. And then the following year we won the championship, and then the chairman sacked me. And that was it. Uh, How come? I mean, that's not a bad well, record. Well, well, well he's, we, he sacked I later found out, look, the club the club got wound up through not paying tax, and then it transpired that it owed probably about two £300,000 in debt. Obviously, the manager and the players were to blame for having such an extortionate wage bill, which, to be fair at the time, I'll be honest with you, was £2,500 a week, which, when I took over the club, it was 3500 and I reduced it by 1000 And also, what people aren't aware of is, Jim Melvin, who who you know was was my number two, we was on contracts, and for five months from from December till the end of the season, we never got paid because the chairman said he he didn't have all the wages, so we relinquished our money. The physio never got paid, and the last two months of the season, the players were only paid half of their money, but he, they were told by the chairman that they would get it at the end of the season, which they never did. So we, I had a very very good group of players and. And when all of this was going on, I dragged all the players into into, a, into the boardroom at the club. And I said, look, here's the situation. And we had a couple of senior pros and, the, and um, the club captain and the vice captain. They said, look, Scott, be honest with you, do you think he'll pay the wages at the end of the season if, if we're going to defer it? I said, I don't know is the honest answer. I said, Jim and I aren't being paid. We're not being paid at all. We haven't been paid since, since December. Um, I said, but all as I'm interested in is winning the league. I said, and we can win it. I said, but I appreciate with some of you the money is 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 paramount to to you know to your to your everyday life. I said, so here's the situation: you make a decision. Jim and I will walk out the room. You make a decision. Well, if you choose to carry on and play, we don't mention money again, and we go on and we we win the league. I said, if you if you decide that you want to leave because you're not happy with the situation, I'll back you 100%. I said, but whatever decision you make. We make the decision and that's it, it's final. So Jim and I went out of the room, we came back in 20 minutes later and they said, we've decided we're going to continue and play the season and hopefully he'll pay. I said, right, that's brilliant, thank you very much. We don't mention money again. And, we, and, the, and the credit to the players, they never did. And uh, they went on and won the league. And what really frustrated me about all of it, listen, sacking me didn't bother me, really. What, what bothered me was the fact that, you know, it then transpired in the papers that it was my fault because... I was too demanding, I wanted more money for the players, etc., etc., and the players should have played for nothing, blah, blah, blah. And the players have got a little bit of a raw deal out of it. And, it, and, it, and to be honest with you, it, it tainted me, I think, in terms of non-league football. So I would always say to any, any ex-pro going into, into non-league football, do your homework on the club first, do your homework on the chairman, because there are, in non-league football, there are, there are too many bad chairmen, too many bad chairmen. A crying shame, really, because there'd be. I'm, I'm sure your story is not the single story like that. I'm sure that's happened many, many times to, to many other managers and players as well. Would you think it'd be different now, Scotty, if you were hanging your boots up now and you're thinking maybe I can go into an into academy? There'd be more opportunities, perhaps, if you wanted to get, to go in with your badges. Yeah, what I would do now, if I was hanging my boots up now, I, I wouldn't touch non-league football. I'd go into an academy because the the academy system is is very, very good. Um, if you want to progress as a coach into management. And I think I think the structure is there now for players who finish at thirty five or whatever, maybe thirty six, thirty seven or even younger. I think I think if you've got your badges, the structure is there for you to go in at certainly at Premier League level at under twelves, under fourteens, under sixteens, make your way up. Maybe, you know, under twenty ones, under twenty threes, etc. So if I had my time again, I would certainly do that. Um, I suppose going off the beaten track, my only my only reservation with the academy system as it stands now, if you look at League One and League Two clubs, 
a lot of those clubs don't have the revenue to have any category system three or four. Um, and I just think if you look at the way the EPP is set out, it's about producing elite players and homegrown players, but we don't, as a, as a, as a footballing nation, we don't provide total funding to allow, for instance, Wickham Wanderers to have a Category 3 um, academy. Um, and, and what we should be doing, really, we should be um, providing that revenue for League 1 and League 2 clubs um, to actually be ena- enable them to have that Category 3 or Category 4 academy and not have to worry about it impacting on their overall budgets for the season. Because ultimately... I would I would argue that most clubs at League One and League Two level would want to have an an academy of some sorts, but the bottom line is they can't financially afford it, and we need to look at that. We need to look at that. Interesting thing, if I can go off the beaten track here, I, there was a there's a program on there's a program on Netflix called The English Game, and it's about um, going back into the 1870s, where then football in this in Great Britain was was actually for the upper class. And um, and and um, and basically, Blackburn were the team that came out of from 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 um, from uh, working class, and 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 more specifically, a footballer called I can't think of his first name, but his surname was Souter, um, and um, it was him and a guy who was from the upper classes who actually came together and changed the way football was played in this country. But in the 1870s, football was an elitist sport. And the way the academy system is set up, if we're not very careful, Leagues 1 and Leagues 2 will become regionalised and actually it will then become an elitist sport again. And I think it's very important that we stop that from happening. Sorry there, Phil, went off the beaten track. I'll tell you what's going on. I knew I was going to roll back the years, but I didn't think we were going to go back as far as 1870. Wow. Well, there we go. There we go. Well, let's wind that clock all the way back forwards and bring it up to the present day. Wanderers, what a season they've had up to now. We don't know what's going to happen, but what a season they've had. Yeah, listen, it's been fantastic. I think, you know, if you look at the beginning of the season, I think, I wouldn't say survival was the the only option. I I think... You know, I think they were more than capable of surviving. I suppose it, it was it was probably mid-table, but you know they've had a fantastic season thus far. And like we say, until we until we know what's going to happen, we, we you know in, gar- in regards to the leagues, we we don't know where they may or may not end up. But regardless of that, it's been it's been it's been a fantastic season. It really has. Let me ask you a hypothetical question, Scotty, yeah. because there's there's loads of rumours and leaked audio and information and theories from TV companies and other people and other chairmen who've got vested interest. One of the things that has come out this week is the potential of, of the, the season being finished and then a points per game uh, table being made and then the top three going up from each division, yeah. which would mean Wickham would get promoted to the championship as if you're a player, if you're a striker of a team who finished third and went up points per game, how would you feel about that? My view on the way the league is at the moment is: can you finish, the, you know, the Premier League all the way down to League Two? Can you finish them safely in the time period you've got before players can have a bit of a break and go into the new season? I'm not convinced you can, if I'm being brutally honest. So therefore, it then becomes: do we stop the league and do it on a points per game ratio? In which case, if they do. Wickham go up, which is brilliant for Wickham. But for me, the season is based on, on, on obviously how you do over the course of a season. And if they're going to not finish the leagues now, my personal view is, and it, listen, it's, not, it's, it's going to upset people either way and some people, is actually wherever you are now, that's where, that's, if the league ends tomorrow, that's, that's really where you finished. And the way they should do it is is possibly, right, we're not having playoffs this year. They did it before, and ironically, Wickham missed out on that when they actually um, made the leagues bigger at the lower levels. In League One, it was only the top the top team who went on in the next four in the playoffs, and Wickham finished sixth. I think if they're going to finish the leagues, they should finish them, and wherever you sit now is actually where you have finished the season. But get rid of the playoffs. And then obviously, which means then effectively in League One, only two go up, but equally only three go down, not four. And the same for the Premier League, the Championship 
And then obviously in terms of League Two, only one goes down, one up, and then obviously three go up. That doesn't work well for Wickham because it means they don't get promoted. But I just think that's the fairest way of doing it, in my opinion. I like to play the long game, Scotty, you see, because I remember that 94-95 season when, when Wickham yeah. finished sixth. Martin O'Neill was the manager, so therefore they would have got into the playoffs, yeah. which would have meant that they would have won it because that's just that's just what happened back then. So Correct. they would have been into the into the first division, a.k.a. the championship. 25 years later, I'm, I'm all about these decisions. They even themselves up over time. That's what they say, isn't it? If Wickham yeah. were to go up five points per game, isn't that just the evening up of that decision over time? Yeah, it is absolutely one hundred percent. And and see, this is the thing, though, Phil, isn't it? it? It's you know, I think they've they've finished the the um, obviously the French league now, and I think they've done it on a points per games ratio there, haven't they? And, and and obviously PSG won the title, but it's one of those. If you do it on a points per games ratio, obviously we can finish third. So so okay, they go up. But then the team that are currently in third, you could you know they'll say, well, hold on, that's not fair because actually over the course of the season we're we're you know we're above them on merit. And things of all and what have you, and that, that's how it could could be construed if that was the case of the league. So I think, I think unfortunately, the EFL and the Premier League have decisions to make regarding the leagues, which whatever decision they make, they're not going to please everybody. Um, so obviously, that's my opinion. I'm not saying it's the right one. I fully, I fully understand what you're saying, and obviously, all the Wickham fans will say the same, and I respect that, and it would be great for the football club. Just financially, it would be fantastic. And to actually see them in the championship would be brilliant. But it's one of those decisions that whatever's made, you're not going to please everybody. You're always going to upset somebody. So it's a decision that, that obviously I'm, I'm glad I don't have to make and I don't envy the people who are making it. Yeah, I'm with you on that one and absolutely echo those sentiments. Whatever happens, someone's going to be really upset somewhere yeah. and other people might be very, very happy. We shall be watching it very, very closely. Uh, Scotty, let's finish on the football then. Many, many goals for Wickham Wanderers. You must have a favourite out of all of those. Can you talk us through one? Gosh, favourites out of all of them. Um, <laughs> uh, i tell you one of my favourites was we played Bath City at home and it was a year we finished runners-up, I think, and it was a bank holiday Monday. And we beat them 1-0, and it was a volley from the edge of the box. And the reason why I suppose it's one of my favourites is because it was one of those games where it was a frustrating game, and I was getting more and more wound up with the fact that I wasn't getting chances, or if I got them, I might have missed them. And it was a frustrating, because Bath City, whenever we played Bath City in, in, in the conference, it was always a tough game. They had a centre-half called Something Essex, who was just so mouthy and, and always chomped in your ear for the whole of the game and what have you. And and um, and, what, and, and, and anyway, so I get really, really frustrated. Anyway, I think it was a corner. It's come out to the edge of the box and I'm on the edge of the box and I've volleyed it. It's gone straight in. And Glyn Cruiser came up to me and when he came up to me, he, he, all he said to me was, I told you, don't get frustrated. Just be patient and it will happen. And I just thought, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So that was probably one of my favourite goals because with the greatest respect as well, I didn't score many volleys. They normally went in the stanchion of the crowd, not the goal. And um, So I suppose that was arguably one of, one of my favourites, but, but we never won the league anyway. So, um, but, but, um, but yeah, I suppose that was one of my favourites, I think. Right, that's your lot for this episode. If you're still desperate for a football fix, then the Ringing the Blues lockdown quiz is back this Saturday at 8pm, internet permitting. I'll post the YouTube link later this week. Big thanks to Scotty, Andy Collins, Gareth Ainsworth, Russell Martin, Craig Anderson, George Williams and Roberto Peroni. Take care and stay safe.